Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's look back at the Nativity story will take us to a prophecy found in the narrative of John the Baptist's birth. There was a unique purpose behind John's ministry that would also help to identify the Chosen One's mission and the character of our God. Thanks for listening today as we examine God's nature as Redeemer, the one who will fix our brokenness. I started out my study with this question at the header, why do bad things happen? You ever ask that question? Why do bad things happen? It's the reason that all of us do feel the pummeling of this world. Because it is corrupted. That's the short answer. The short answer is this world is cursed. That curse has been manifest in your life and in mine by the full or total corruption of every component. Meaning that in your spirit, you will be led, again, without Jesus, without the Spirit of God, just in your own flesh, your spirit will be led towards idolatry. And we see this all over in the world. I know, in fact, with reflection into your own life, you might identify those ways in which you fail at following God and even are tempted to follow after the ways of this world. Not only is there a corruption in our spirits, but our souls as well have undergone that bludgeoning of of conforming to the likeness of this world. So our minds don't think right. Our emotions don't respond properly. Our perspectives are all skewed. And this, this curse upon us that has, has changed the way our souls interact with each other continues to lead to more pain, more suffering. It's not just your spirit. It's not just your soul. But all of us with a hearty amen recognize that the flesh itself has been woven under corruption. And all of us are waiting for that day of resurrection where we are given A new body that no longer is in rebellion with God's will in our lives. That's one answer to why bad things happen. Do you believe God's in charge? Do you you believe he is? Because we have to therefore answer the question a little bit differently. Yes, I affirm that it is because of sin that Bad things happen. Yes, and I affirm that has had a trifecta influence over my life. But if God's in charge, it means that there is a purpose behind the bad things that happen to us. There's a purpose. I wrote this down. I said it's because God allows sinners to see the display of the character of God. Let me say that again. I want you to, I want you to meditate on that for, for a moment this morning. Why do bad things happen? Because it allows sinners to to see on display the character of God. God will reveal himself to you. Who he is. The kind of God he is. His love for you and I. Because he will allow for tragedy to happen. And I know that this is simple enough to say for the small things. You've all got small things in your life. Some of you have had some more recent pretty big things. I want you to know this morning as well that the character of God will be revealed to you as you take those challenges, trials, whatever it is that you're facing, and you come and you bring them before the throne of God and you say, God, show me who you are in the middle of this pain, in the middle of this confusion, in the middle of this difficulty. If you do that, 
God will answer. That's who he is. That is who our God is. To come to the aid of those who call upon him. To be for them, and here's the term, our rock, right Penny? Our rock and our what? Our rock, and say it together, our redeemer. He's our redeemer. He takes that which we cannot fix. He takes that which is our only struggle. And when we bring it to him, he transforms it. That's what it means to redeem. It means to be set free. It means to take that which is ugly and make it beautiful. That which is hurtful and make it helpful. That which is grotesque and make it glorious to him. Uh, This past week, my family and I traveled down to Ohio to spend time with uh, both my wife's family and then my sister and her kids. And so our kids got together with all the little cousins. And one of the presents that they got to open was one of these little dance pads that the little girls would, would step on and it makes noises and they're, you know, dancing to the music, except for the fact that they couldn't get the battery door open. <laughs> and so they tried and they struggled and they struggled. They just couldn't get it open. And finally, with exasperation, Sadie brings it to me. And I go, click. (laughs) Just like that. And she goes, wow. (laughs) Isn't that like our experience in life? Don't, Don't we try everything that we can? Don't we wrestle with it as much as possible until finally we're at a point of like, all right, God, you take this. I can't do it. And God, in his infinite ability and wisdom, does what with your trouble? He can fix it. He can solve it in the blink of an eye. He is able, church. He is our redeemer. Our study through the chosen one has been an effort to look at the nativity stories as handed to us through the gospels. And then to reframe our understanding of what Christmas means, not according to the traditions of our world, but according to the way in which those very first apostles understood it through the lens of the Old Testament prophecies. Every time we encounter a title or a function of this Messiah, this chosen one, it is always given with the backdrop of that which has been said and proclaimed through the prophets. And so we're going to do that again this morning. And we're going to find that one of the titles that's given to this chosen one is the Redeemer. And that to be seen in the context of a story that's many times overlooked at Christmas. The story of the announcement of the birth of Jesus' cousin, Johnny. I shouldn't call him Johnny. What's his name? John the Baptizer. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me into Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want, again, your heart and mind to be resonating with this idea of redemption. That you would think of the way your own life has had moments of ugliness, hurt, and pain, and despair that you have seen God change. We all have those stories. In fact, we're going to hear later on in this message from one of our very own members of how that that story of God's character has been displayed through his redeeming work. Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. Luke records, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. 
Now we got to pause here just at the minute. Don't rush over this. You, you need to understand that culturally speaking, this is an insurmountable mountain for Zachariah and Elizabeth. To not have children in this culture and to, to reach that age where you feel like, you know, the clock's been ticking a long time. I just don't think it's going to happen at all. That this for them is, is an, an inescapable chasm to which they cannot cross on their own. All that they would see is helplessness. And you know what God's going to do? You know what God's going to do in the middle of that? He's going he's to redeem it. Watch what happens. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the customs of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time came for the burning of the incense, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Can we pause there again just for a moment? Does it ever feel like your prayers aren't being heard? Does it ever feel like that? I'm getting zero nods from anybody. No, God just hears every prayer from you. Come on, be honest. Does it ever feel like you were offering prayers and offering prayers. What a blessing to see that even though on this side we might go for a season or for a year or even longer with the question in our hearts, isn't it good news to know God hears? He hears all of those prayers. He has always heard those prayers. More than that, he is busy at work to answer those prayers. There is never a prayer that goes unanswered. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's yes. Many, many, many times it's just wait. Just wait. That's what it was for Zechariah. This, the best news that he could get from the angel. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here's our story. Again, in our uh, Christmas celebration, many times this one's overlooked. The narrative tells us the background and the structure for what's going on in the mind of Elizabeth and Zechariah. It tells us the proclamation from the angel. What I want us to focus on is the quotation that the angel references at the very end. He will go on in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Here's what that means. Again, just for sake of time on this one, I can't delve too deep into it. But during the time of Elijah, there was great despair among the people. And that's what's happening right now. There's great despair. Questions. Feeling like God has abandoned them. Silence, not a single prophet for the last 400 years. Where is God? Why do bad things keep happening? God says, I'm going to send you one. He will come in that spirit, just like in Elijah's day. And the work that's going to happen is threefold. These are our observations this morning. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He's going to turn disobedient to wisdom. And he's going to make ready a particular people. 
Now, if you see that with me in verse 17, I would like you to write a little note on your margin that that actually is a quotation from the book of Malachi. That this, once more, provides us the lens so that we can see the way to make sense of what's happening here. There's two turnings. There's a turning of hearts to their uh, hearts of the fathers to their children. And then there's a second one, a turning. It, it says here in Luke's gospel, disobedient to the wisdom. Let's just deal with the first one. Um, fathers to their children. I ask this question. What keeps a father's heart from their children? Well, what is it in our world today that would make God's design within the home for that experiential Having been humbled by time and circumstance, the wisdom that's given to dads and to moms, that in God's design, that would be given to their children. Teaching them, showing them, instructing them. Why is it that fathers are not invested in this design of God? I wrote a couple of things down. I said, selfishness. Have you ever seen that before? Careers. That was, that was a quick number two on my part. Sometimes it's for pleasure. This isn't hunting season anymore, so I'm safer from stepping on toes now. But if this was November, we'd have some elbows, right? How about money or the love of money? Sometimes it's bitterness that causes dads to be uninvested in the lives of their children. Sometimes it's unforgiveness. There's a wounding that's either happened generationally from them by their fathers. And so there's a further kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. The way that they were treated is the way that they treat their children. There's a failure to see the potential of God's glory in their children. There's an immaturity in many fathers to recognize God's design for what a father is. There's the pain of past trauma. There's greed. There's anger. I bet you could add some more to this list as well. Is, is there not a cacophony of reasons why dads and fathers are not with empathetic selflessness focused on their children? God says, we're, we're, we're going to bring somebody who's going to bring a message of hope that's going to help to change that perspective. To turn the hearts of the fathers towards their children. The second one here, the disobedient to the wisdom is only going to really make sense to us if we go back to Malachi. So hold your spot here in Luke. Turn with me to the final book in your Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Oh, do you notice that? It's a little different. That's not the way that the angel quotes it. Did everybody catch the difference? The angel said the disobedient will be turned to the wise. But that's not what Malachi said. Malachi says he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. This connection, this parallelism, I want you to know is not a misquote by the angel, but rather a correct interpretation of what it means to have children turn their hearts to their parents. So I wrote down a list of things as to why children don't have their hearts turned to their parents. Do you want to hear it? Here's the list. Foolishness. 
That's it. That's the whole list. That's the whole thing. Don't worry. You were foolish once in your life as well. Uh, that's part of that corruption of the, of the spirit and of the soul that leads you into idolatry. That's what happens with children. I was talking with my brother-in-law. He was saying as his daughters were growing up and his son has uh, moved on into the military now, he said that um, the, the girls were a little bit harder to raise as they got older. He said, boys are easy up until age 12, and then they lose their minds. Remember that? <laughs> Heard that amen. Heard it in the back, right? That's right. Um, yeah, what, what is it? What is it that causes children not to pay attention to the wisdom? Well, it's this word right here. It's, it's disobedience. It's foolishness. And so back in Luke's gospel, we're able to see that interpretation that really what this means then is that the functioning design of God for fathers is to be one of wisdom and of righteousness, to to invest that into their children. And that children being risen in a world that's filled with bad things that are happening, children need to learn to look with an eye of expectant understanding in fact, we are told in many places that one of the signs of the last days will be disobedience to parents. Comes in 2 Timothy. Shows up in Romans chapter 1 as well. A whole list. You could find it. Romans chapter 1 has this whole list of sins. Think of the worst sins you can imagine. And then just tucked right in there is disobedience to parents. It's this rebellion against God's design. So number one is a turning of the hearts. Number two is a turning of their hearts. Number three, however is making a defining people evident in the world. That John's job, John the Baptist's job, was to help to prepare a unique kind of people. Uh, I'd like you to see, as we have already heard from Sandy this morning, if you jump ahead with me in Luke chapter 1, after Zechariah was told this, and you know the rest of the story, we didn't read through it. Zechariah questions, he becomes mute, he's unable to speak, he's told what they're to name him. You know the rest of that story. But then he has a song in verse 67. Look with me there, chapter Luke 1, 67. Zechariah, as he's given his speech back, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies this in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed. His people. Do you see it? That's who God is. Zechariah gets this. He understands this. He has looked at the pain and the struggle. He's looked at the bad things that are happening in this world. And he has seen it through the lens of what Malachi taught. That this is what is to happen. Through the angel's revelation, God is going to redeem his people. He's going to take the bad, the ugly, the grotesque, that which you and I face in this world. And that as you and I bring it to him because our hearts are now turned, he will define a new type of people. He will redeem them. This word redeem means to buy out. Uh, figuratively, it's used as a ransoming. I'm, I'm purchasing by virtue of that which should belong to me, that which is my own. That's what this word means. God is our redeemer. Two conclusions that I want to offer to us this morning. First is this. God's redemption is found in the turning of our hearts. Don't miss that. That's what needs to change. It's our hearts that need to change. In fact, you could frame it this way, Penny. May the words of my... Help me out. Let let me try. May the words of my... (laughs) 
and the meditations of my be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What, what is it you need to change? You can change your heart. That's what you need to change. He is, hear me close. He is not interested in any form of behavior modification in your life. He's not interested in that at all. God's redemption is found in the turning of our hearts, to have our hearts changed. That's the first thing I want you to see. Second thing I want you to see is that God's redemptive turning, all right? So this act of turning, this now becomes that which identifies you as Christians. How do do I know that I'm a Christian? In fact, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in the church today that on some level, you've got to carry the entire full baggage of theological orthodoxy if you're going to be a Christian. And my goodness sakes, who could be a Christian? That's not it. Do you know how you know if you're a Christian? If you follow Jesus. And you're, you're going to have some mistakes on the way. You're going to, in fact, take some stupid routes. I guarantee you will because you're a sinner. God's spirit is so patient with you. He's so patient that when you go the wrong way, do you know what God's spirit is going to lovingly do? He's going to correct you back upon the right road because you are designed to follow him, to hear his voice as the good shepherd and to follow where he leads. And so sometimes, do you know what that means for you? You're going to have to turn. You're going to have to turn. It's that act of turning that's defining whether you're following him or not. Now, I don't don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I'm lost and someone tells me, why don't you just ask for directions? I'm not going to name any names. Who says that? Sometimes I just want to go and figure it out on my own. I know the only one guilty of that in here today, right? But that obstinance, that obstinance is going to lead me away in my spiritual life. That obstinance is going to lead me away from God's blessing and his design. And it will lead me to more pain, to more bludgeoning, to more bad things evident in my life. But if I turn and I go back into the direction I should, I will take those difficulties, those pains, those wrong directions. And I will say, God, all right, I messed up. Anyone else with me this morning? Any mess ups in church? I messed up. And where I messed up, I'm asking for your redemption. I need you to make new again that which I have made ugly. And that act of turning is the defining feature of whether I'm following Jesus or not. This is exactly what it says. Look with me one more time. Chapter 1, verse 17. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Same verb, even though it's not in the NIV. And to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. What is the result? To make ready a people, to make ready a people, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It is a defining characteristic that shows you as Christians. In fact, this truth, I I want you to know, I'm not the one just inventing this. That the writers of the New Testament so understood this act of turning. They read it through the lens of Malachi's teaching. That this becomes the phrase with which they will reference a new Christian. Every time in the, New, in the New Testament that you see a reference to new believers or new Christians, do you know the verb they use to define that they're following Jesus? They turn. Let me show you examples of that. Acts chapter 9. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. 
Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and triune God. 1 Peter 2, 5, uh, 25. For, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have turned back to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. This act of turning is that a defining feature that says, I follow, I follow the Lord. I'm a Christian. And so here's what this means for you and I as I wrap up this morning. I want to ask you the question, where do you need to turn? Where do you need to turn today? The angel gave us two categories from Malachi's prophecy. You're, you're, you're either a, a father who is supposed to be characterized, and by the way, I mean mother as well. Hopefully that goes without saying. You're, you're either the kind of parent in your life who should be characterized as wisdom and righteousness, and therefore you need to have your heart turned to those who are disobedient. Or you are one of the disobedient, and you need to have your heart turned towards righteousness and wisdom. I'm willing to bet, and try this on for size, you're a little of both. Amen? You're a little of both. In fact, if you think you're only one or the other, I think you're probably, come see me after if you think you're just one. <laughs> so here's the question. If you're going to apply, if I'm going to learn to live God's word, ask yourself this question. Where is my heart right now facing the bad, evil things of this world and leaving them under corruption because I can't get the plastic little cover off the battery set or whatever it is in your life. I can't fix this. Wherever that is happening, Give it to God. Turn from your own striving and efforts. Turn from your own vain attempts at glory and ability. Turn and give that to God through prayer. Then watch what God will do as your redeemer. The second thing that really flows from this is a question to say, will you let this turning then characterize you as Christians? That you belong to him. That you are his possession. Radiant. When you were repulsive. (laughs) That you are now beautiful when you were covered with shame. And that you are now redeemed. Amen.